Conversations. Tonight is part of a series on 21st century families. My guest is Marilyn Bronzy. We're going to be talking about the experience of giving up a child for adoption. Marilyn Bronzy is a retired clinical social worker in southern Maine. She's the co-founder of Brief Therapy Associates and the India Street Institute for Solution-Oriented Therapy. She retired in 2010 after 20 years as a therapist. She's the birth mother of Lisa Williams and lives with Jim Singer, her partner of 31 years. Welcome to Safe Space. Thank you, Anne. Tell me a little bit about the circumstances you found yourself in and, and how you struggled with the decision about giving up a child. Okay. Um, the year is 1966. I was a sophomore in college. Um, I actually had flunked out and uh, didn't know what I was going to do. And in July or August found that I was pregnant. And um, I told some friends. Of course, I told the birth father. And uh, we talked about getting married, but we had been dating only three months. And um, I, I, not exclusively, actually, some of us, one of us. And um, so we, we thought it was not the best thing in the world to get married. Um, we were, um, I was in my, twen I was 20, and um, so I was a little bit older, and uh, just, um, I'm the third of middle, ch I'm the middle child of five. My parents were first generation Americans. We were Catholic, and um, this was, as you say, not in the script. Uh, so, um, I didn't have very much, um, experience with such a thing. No one in our family had ever done this or anything like this, had ever been married out of wedlock that I knew of anyway. And, um, I told a few, two of my girlfriends what was happening and, um, one of them had a friend, and we moved to Boston. And uh, I went to Catholic Charities in Boston, and they said that they would um, handle the adoption after some discussion. And so the decision was actually made for me in 1966. I've thought about this a lot. In 1966, being pregnant without benefit of marriage was like having a relative in jail is today. You wouldn't talk about it. And um, uh, there was not much support in the society for that. There was none. Uh, birth control was illegal. Adoption was, I mean, um, abortion was illegal. Um, if there was uh, generally, generally in my family, we think, you know, well, why didn't you keep the baby? Why didn't your mother take the baby? Why didn't your sister take the baby? And those things were not um, discussed to, with me. I found out later that they were discussed among each other. And th those uh, members of my family felt really bad that they didn't do that because that is what normally would have happened. But I was... Um, 
uh, very um, self-reliant. I was, you know, I made my, you know, my problem and I was going to take care of it. And so the, if I talk about the decision, what I would say is um, I tried to do what I thought was best for my daughter and then what was best for me. And how did you see what would be best for your daughter? How did you think about that? I felt that um, she would be better off with two parents and possibly a family. And uh, I saw that from two sides. I thought of it as if she didn't, if she was with only a mother and we didn't have a story about where her father was, that she would um, be subjected to some shunning or whatever. The word wasn't known then, but that was the sense of what I had. She would have been made fun of. It's interesting. So the, the fear was less that the lack of a father might somehow cost her in terms of her being raised, but more about the societal cost of the stigma. Yes. So interesting. It speaks to the high price of stigma. Yes, it was definitely stigma. I, I didn't think I could support her financially. I didn't think I could, you know, I just knew that we would be, I, I just didn't, I had flunked out of college. What was I going to do? And um, as it was, I when I moved to Boston, I was making $60 a week and living in an apartment with two other people. So right. that couldn't have happened. I had to go to work. Then where would, there was no child care or anything. So it was right. not um, a very doable option. Yes. I guess. And I, I was glad to hear that you included yourself, that you thought about what would be best for her, but that you also thought about what would be best for you. Because um, I think women so often are not encouraged to even consider that in circumstances like this. And how did you think about that part of it? Well, it's related to I would not only be able to support her, but I would never be able to complete college. I wouldn't be able to um, have a job that was going to support me, um, even right. me and her at that point. Um, uh, so it, it, felt end like my, it would end my options, basically. Yes. So it felt like it would sort of be the end of your dreams. Like, right. Really, yeah. So you make this decision and carry through with it. And um, did did it haunt you? I mean, did you feel like that moment where you actually handed the baby over? Was that something that was just wrenching for you? How how was that for you? Um, it was actually soft. I had softened it for myself. When after, at that point in the hospital, I went to a clinic at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Brighton. And um, after the child was born, they I was in a room with three other women, and they brought the other women their babies, but they didn't bring my baby in. And so I went to the um, nurse's station, and I asked if they would bring her and they they eventually they came in and they said we didn't think you would want to see her and i so i said i did and so for 3 days when ch children were brought to their mothers then i would talk to her and tell her um what was happening and why it was happening and uh so i felt like i had left her as much as i could i'm so glad for you that you could ask for that. Hmm. That and was you, probably a little sassy. 
where's oh. my baby? Yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, where's my baby? No kidding. <laughs> right. So you told her. You told her. You explained it to her then in the yeah. best way you could. Yeah. Mm. And, and I got to know her a little bit. I mean, she's a brand new baby, and she was holding her head up, and she was she was just, uh, you know, I knew she'd be okay in life. Mm. And did that moment, I can imagine that for some people, there's a fear of doing that for fear that they would change their mind. Did, did that, was that a struggle for you, or did you remain clear? I remain, oh, I've gone over that decision so many times. I would not have changed my mind. They, I don't know what could have changed my mind. I don't. And I don't make decisions like that anymore. But it was once I made the decision, it was done. And I couldn't allow myself to go back on it. I want to ask you a little bit then. You know, you told me as we were planning this conversation that for 23 years afterwards, you really didn't talk to anyone about it. Or presumably you did. I didn't. I was, um, I was uh, uh, certainly the roommates that I had knew about it. So you you leave the hospital. Did you ever get to meet the family that no. adopted? No. No, so that wasn't happening. That, that wasn't, didn't, didn't happen. happen then, no. No, the next thing that, that touches me is having to go a month later. The, the social worker did call me and say, you can change your mind for a month, and you can go and visit the baby for a month, where she was in foster care. Oh. She would be adopted after that month was up. Oh. And uh, I wouldn't allow myself to do that. Um, but on the 18th of May, 1967, I uh, signed the papers, and I was alone, and that was very, very difficult. It said I would not try to connect to her or contact her or uh, in any way try to go against what I was signing. And that was, that was very impactful to me. Yeah. And how when you can, can I ask you to say more? I, it's, it feels so tender. I don't want to. I don't want to be nosy, but very impactful in the sense of like really renouncing those wishes. Right. right. Yeah. Right. And then over the subsequent time, um, did you have people you could share your grief with? I mean, no. I was. Um, I and I probably did have people I could have shared my grief with, but I didn't share it. I didn't tell anybody about it. I um, cut myself off from that part of myself. I certainly knew it was there. Uh, the, I, the only people I remember telling are um, people, m uh, my male partner, if I was in relationship with them for some period of time, and it looked like I was going to be in relationship with them. So it was two people beyond her birth father. And um, uh, a, a few women, but generally the biggest impact to me was that I cut myself off from women. I could, if I were sit, I would be with them, but I couldn't say my experience. So at that time, I was 20, in my 20s, all my friends were having babies or had babies, and they would, I would be in the conversation, but not included in the conversation, and I wouldn't offer that I had had a child. And what was your feeling about what was at risk? What was the concern about what would happen if you did tell? Well, actually, I've experienced it now that I tell the story. I've experienced that people get very angry. Angry? With you or with yes. who? Yes. They're, they're um, outraged. 
outraged. And I wouldn't have blamed them. I mean, these are women who are some trying to have children and and some have children and love them deeply. And I'm saying I gave my child away. So they're saying it like, what kind of a person are you that you could do that? Right. right. I see. Or especially right. for someone who can't have a child, like, you had this thing that I want so badly. Absolutely. And you actually gave, squandered it. You gave it away kind of thing. Right. Oh. And so what is that like for you to meet with that? Now now I just understand it's a person's reaction. And uh-huh. I, I do understand it. And some people don't do that. I mean, it's not everybody that does that. That was what I was afraid of. It's so striking to me because when I imagine being in your situation, what I imagine is um, the deep loss to you. The, oh. what, you know, what, what you suffered. In, um, the only time I would let myself feel how sad I was was on her birthday. Um, and also one time, when actually when I moved to Maine, so she might have been eight years old or something like that, I really missed her. Mm-hmm. I really missed that I hadn't um, grown up with her. I can imagine. So would you tell yourself, oh, she'd be eight now or she'd mm, be 12? We could be climbing mountains and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing is that for 23 years you told almost no one and it was mostly to do with the fear of their anger or their judgment. Really. Their judgment. Their judgment. That's exactly what it was, yeah. judgment. Yeah. And, and what about your own mom or your own sisters? They did, uh, were they, they knew, did they say, did they check in about how you were doing about it? Did you receive kind of care like that? Not for a long time. My youngest sister, uh, about maybe 20 years later, was old enough to say, to uh, say, well, how come that we never talk about this thing that happened in our family? I said, well, what f- thing are you talking about? And she said, well, you had a baby. She was a little girl. She was five or six. And I said, well, I would talk about it now. I, it wasn't, I don't think that I wouldn't have talked about it. I did try at one time and uh, my older sister told me not to talk about it. Oh, really? How did she explain that you shouldn't talk about it? Uh, you shouldn't just like that. It should, <laughs> it should, there should not be. <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> I see. Mm-hmm. And what was that like for you to be told that by your older sister? Well, I, it's probably the first sense of being judged. I guess it was the first sense that I had that, I shouldn't tell people this, that I would be judged. Yeah, that is so shameful. We can't even we can't speak about, about it. it. Yeah. It's also painful. I think that, you know, now that um, I understand more, it was very painful for my family to to lose a member of the family. Yes, they were all grieving. Yes. Yes. That's right. I can also imagine that sometimes families don't ask people about things because they think they're sparing you pain. Right. I think that's true. They imagine that they would cause you pain by bringing it up, but meanwhile the pain is already there. Mm-hmm. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Marilyn Bronzy about the experience of giving up a child for adoption. So I want to... Um, shift now a little bit to the process of how you found each other, because I know that you, in fact, just spent Thanksgiving together. Yes. And um, 
You said you didn't tell anyone for about 23 years. So what happened? What changed? What made you decide you could, having renounced on May 18th, that you would try to find her? How did you decide that you could? And There were two, uh, two seminal experiences. One was um, I was in graduate school, and I was doing an internship at community counseling, and one of the uh, therapists gave a, an in-service talk about how adoption had changed and that people um, could contact each other. There, were, there was a list in the state government that you could put yourself on and, and children could find you and whatever and how records were being opened and that kind of thing. And so that, that was percolating. And then I, I um, attended a, uh, a workshop, a growth a life spring workshop in Boston, and uh, one of the exercises had us saying what we wanted, and it's, and I wanted my baby, hmm. and so I called. Even from that workshop, I called a search firm and asked uh, them to begin the search. My uh, the baby's birth father and I still know each other, and he had called me. He was, um, he is uh, in AA, and he had been given the t- the telephone number and address of the search firm by somebody because in his talk, whenever he was in a meeting, um, he would mention the loss of the child. So someone helped. So s- he, somebody gave him. Actually, a couple of people gave him the names of search firms. So did the search firm find her? The search firm had almost found her, and um, her mother had uh, started a search for me six months earlier, and the two search firms got together and contacted them, her, Lisa, to see if she wanted to be found. And uh, she said yes, and so then they contacted me. So then how did it, what happened next? Did you write? Did you call? Did what happened? Well, was- <laughs> they... Uh, arranged that she would call me. She had my telephone number. And she was married at this time, and she um, was at her mother-in-law's house, and they were just sitting around. They were very excited, and she wasn't calling me, and she wasn't calling me. And her uh, mother-in-law finally said to her, you better call that woman. She's sitting by the telephone waiting for you. And so she did call me. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And... um, She'd been sweating. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked for maybe an hour um, on the telephone. She told me uh, some of her life, and um, we talked about some of the similarities in our lives and um, arranged to meet the following Monday. It was a Friday night. Were you so nervous? Oh, I was very nervous when we met, yes. Did you recognize her? I did. But more than that, I recognized her daughter. She had, at that point, she was 23, and she had, um, uh, I think Nicole was uh, three, and Stevie Stevie was a year and a half. And um, Nicole looked like somebody that I knew. And uh, then everybody started telling me it was me. So, when I was a little girl. Yes. But anyway, so... Um, 
So we went. We went. Jim and I went down to meet her, and uh, she was there. Her husband was working, and the she and the children were there. And uh, the children looked at me suspiciously because she had told them that I was um, another her other mother, and uh, that sort of. Stevie was a little too young, but Nicole was quite curious about that question. I'm sure she was. <laughs> How does one have another mother? And then she, and then I got the questions that were like, Nana, would you tell me why you gave my mother to somebody else? Did she ask you that? The yes, first she meeting? did. Yes, uh, so, she did. And how did you answer? I her? said, Well, I didn't have a daddy for her, and I thought that she needed a daddy. Because I, she, what a good answer. And then her mother had told her that her. Her uh, her mother um, had a broken belly and needed to have a baby, and a woman that had a baby, and she gave her to her. So she had two sides of the story. And how long ago was this, Marilyn? 21 years. And so have you stayed in touch with her since then? Has it waxed and waned, the amount of contact you've had? How has that been? Oh, pretty much we're... we're close. We're like very close friends. Um, when we first connected, I didn't understand. I don't, don't think either of us understood what was the nature of our relationship. Um, I wanted to, to honor her mother, her relationship with her mother. And I, I don't know that it's not like sisters. It's, it's a relationship like uh, no other that I have. Right. That would make sense. <laughs> you know, one of the things that strikes me is um, in this series that I've been doing, I've been talking about families of all kinds and families in which there's been a donor, adoptive mm. families. And so often one of the themes is how the the mother, the adoptive mother, may be threatened by the presence of the birth mother or the donor and so on. And it's striking to me in your story that it was her mother that enlisted the search firm. And how has that relationship been? How, what inspired the mother to do that? And was she threatened by you? Well, um, I always uh, give her the, this cr tremendous credit. Um, we were just together at Thanksgiving and I told them we were going to do this show. And I said that to her. I said, I always thought that it was due to her that we were together and that we had the relationship we did. And um, she said, well, uh, I did that because uh, if I were adopted, that's what I would have wanted. I would have wanted to be able to know my birth parents. And um, then she told me that it was very hard for her to um, have her daughter have another family, in this case, two other families, because she also knows her birth father. So she, uh, Angela now had to share her daughter with these, peop the, uh, right. these other people. But um, Lisa did an awful lot to bring us together. She would invite us to, to the same dinners, to Christmas dinner. We've done Christmas dinner together for who knows how long. Really? And her grandmother, Lisa's grandmother, was like, she took me in like another daughter. It yeah. was very, it was very, um, lo just very loving family. So her mother, um, it sounds like she must have been so secure in herself. To be able to be so generous that she could mm -hmm. share, mm -hmm. and not that not that she owns Lisa, of course, but there was this amazing sort of expansiveness that she could be so open. It seems to me, it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I also noticed that you are very 
that you call her her mother very clearly. You don't call her her adoptive mother. I think that's how I keep it clear. Yeah, that sounds quite important. Yes. Yeah. So we're going to have to end in a minute, but I want to ask you about, um, you know, there's so many people that are face this decision and kind of what's been the most important thing for you that you've kind of taken from this that you would want to offer someone else who is struggling with this? Well, um, I also have the input from my practice, as you mentioned, that I was a therapist, so that I know that um, women are extremely, feel extremely bad about themselves when they do this. And um, uh, children very often think that that their parents didn't love them if they could give them away. And the... um, what I would say is that it's um, an incredible act of love to give a child away when you feel that you are not the right parent for them, that you aren't going to be the best parent for them. No matter what the circumstances of some, if you can make that decision, that isn't because there's anything wrong with the child. It's not, there's nothing wrong with the parents. It's that they have, are making an extremely difficult decision. Out of love, out of love. It sounds sort of weird, but I think that it's true. It's finally really wanting what's best for the child, even if you suffer. Yes. It's the ultimate act of parenting, one might think. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, is being, it is truly being a mother to want what's best for your child, even if it costs you. Mm. So I hear you saying that both to the, the mothers who might need to give a child up, but also to the children. Yes. That they know that they were loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that it wasn't easy and it was not something wrong with them and not all the sad things that they can think about. But that. And did you know, in the, you know, over the years before you reconnected with Lisa, did you know that about yourself? Was that something that helped sustain you? That you had? I always knew I loved her. Yes, and that your decision was yes. founded in love. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad for you. Mm -hmm. That seems like a great place to stop. Marilyn Bronzy, thank you so much for being my guest. My pleasure. This is Dr. Ann on Safe Space at WMPG. I've been talking to Marilyn Bronzy, a retired clinical social worker here in Portland, Maine, about her experience of giving up a child for adoption. If this is a subject that touches your heart or you want to know more about it, there's a wonderful book by a local Maine author called Without a Map by Meredith Hale, and it's her story also of giving a child up. If you'd like to listen to this show in its entirety or email a copy of it to a friend, you can do so by going to our website, www.safespaceradio.com. You can also subscribe there on the website to get a weekly announcement of what that week's topic was. You can also like us on Facebook if you go into Safe Space Radio. My thanks tonight go to Jen Hodston for mixing the sound, Maurice Lennon for the music, Paul Simon, who's got a special closing song that Jen found, and Neil McKenty for being my consultant. Coming up next is Watchdog.